morning. Come on. Can you hear me now? Oh yeah. You still not hear me? I rely on you. That's a song. No, I like that. I rely on you song. <laughs> okay. Well, now, uh, my name is Nate. Okay. I'm from a... I grew up in the Christian Reformed Church. I don't know if any of you know what that is. I don't know. Some Maybe. Huh? Oh, okay, okay. I grew up in a Christian Reformed Church, and then now I'm, a, I'm ordained in the Reformed Church of America. So, that's why I wear a suit. <laughs> I'm being so serious. I'm being so serious. <laughs> I'm being so serious. I'm not going to tell you what church I was at, but it was just a few weeks ago, and uh, it was a, it was one of those churches. I'm not going to tell you if it was Reformed or Christian Reformed, <laughs> so you don't judge them. Right. And the, yeah, we have a guest pastor because uh, as a street minister, you know. Um, I minister in the streets, but then on Sundays, I minister to the church. So, I got up, and they said, you know, Pastor so-and-so is not here today. We have a ministry. He's from Vanguard Street Ministries. Come on up, Pastor Nate. And I came up, and I said, good morning. Hey, my name is Nate. And there was a dude in the back, and he looked up to see who it was, and he said, I can't do this. Wow. I'm, wa- I'm going to wait in the car. Really? <laughs> really? I was like, Wow. Maybe he'll listen to it on tape. Yeah. <laughs> so I wear suits because I got to break down the barriers yeah. that sometimes go immediately up. Number one, that in that denomination that I'm not white. Yeah. That's a little bit of a barrier, and I'm not trying to be mean. That's just a barrier. Mm-hmm. And then number two, you know, I can't come in looking like a street minister, like a gangster. You could you. Got a hot word from the Lord, they'd be like, no! You don't! <laughs> so I wear suits now. <laughs> to break down at least one of the barriers, you know what I mean? Yeah. If I was smart, I would have never got a tattoo on my neck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't wear earrings anymore either, right? <laughs> Unless I'm in the streets, you know what I'm saying? Hey, what up? Hey, what's up? Man? Hey, what up? They don't have a problem with me in the street. Okay, so now I come and uh, to most places, uh, you know, especially if it's a, because most of my work I do most of my work in the Christian Reformed and Reformed churches, um, but and I come to any church it is, they usually ask for my message title about four weeks in advance. Which I do. I, you know, I try to do the best I can. This is what I think I'm going to present on. Get up now. In those churches, getting off track and being led by the Spirit sometimes is difficult. It's getting better. It's getting better, but sometimes it's difficult. So there's been a time before when I got up to do the message, and I just knew that's not the message I'm supposed to do. Come on, we love that here. So I said. Shucks. I remember the first time that it happened to me. The first time it happened to me, I, I, I was, I was, oh, what am I going to do? And oh, man. <laughs> I did the message that I told him I was going to do. And the problem was afterward, everyone came up and was like, man, bless you. Thank you for that word. And the whole problem was I felt dirty. Wow. I couldn't even wash it off. 
Like, I took a shower literally to try to get out of the feeling that I had, and it just, so the next time it happened, I just said, I'm sorry. I wanted to do a certain message, but that's not what's going to happen. And you guys never have to invite me back if you don't want. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> I'm saying that to say. <laughs> I have, a, I have a really good message on uh, Jesus as a friend of sinners. Lord willing, we might do that next service. <laughs> but I'm up here in front, and the worship is getting good, and I know what God wants me to do. And I'm like, but I told Pastor Cameron. <laughs> but, 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 thanks be to the Lord. This is still about ministering to the broken and the oppressed. Yeah. Good. Thanks be to the Lord. Yeah. But this part of the broken and the oppressed is about the broken and the impressed and the oppressed that are gathering for worship right now. Come on. Ah. All over this United States, all over Kalamazoo, there are people who call themselves to the church that are gathering. And they're broken and hurt and oppressed. That's good. So I just want to, uh, I'm going to be as quick as I can. I brought my watch today. <laughs> Psalm 110. Uh, Holy Spirit, we just receive your presence. Yes. We know the Father's love for the hurt and the broken and the oppressed. And so uh, guide us into all truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, uh, I, I feel like part of the reason that we're doing this message for this group here, because I ask God, confirm it. I can't, I don't, I, I, I want to be in line with what you're doing, Holy Spirit. And the, the young lady that did the word here a minute ago, she confirmed it two different times. I don't even want to go into it how. But what I do want you guys to remember is that, especially in the kingdom of God, the currency in the kingdom is faith. Uh... Like, um, okay, like the currency in the United States is the dollar. Mm -hmm. If you want to buy anything here, anything here, you got to bring dollars. Don't bring pesos. Hey. Don't bring a yen. I don't even know what that looks like, but I know when I go in Japan, I'm going to bring yens. <laughs> in the kingdom of God, the currency is faith. Yeah, don't try to buy anything in the kingdom with a dollar. You might think highly of the dollar. <laughs> you might think higher of the euro, but don't buy anything in the kingdom with dollars. You buy, you you purchase it if you if there's a there's not a better word for me right now. But you receive stuff in the kingdom by using your faith. So what we're going to go over right now is, uh, in general, what I see in these churches that I go to, because I preach in a lot of different churches in Kalamazoo, and what I see in the church is a little bit of what we're going to go in here right now. We'll take what we speak about right now to put our faith together for what we see happening. Because revival is already here. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, there's no question in my mind that revival is already here. I was walking in, uh, I was walking early this morning, and I looked up and I said, man, look at those little tiny buds on the tree. Ah, spring is here. It doesn't feel like spring is here. Well, it doesn't matter how you feel. We walk by faith. 
not by sight. We just sang that this morning. Yeah. Not how I feel or not what I see. And my eyes have, uh, we're, I'm in a, I don't live in the natural. I live in the supernatural. Yeah. So now when I see a little bud coming up in some of the churches that used to be really, really stagnant or dormant, done deal for me. I say, revival is here. Yeah. Revival is here. So that's what I want to go about so that we can put our faith together. Since faith is the currency of the kingdom, let's put our faith together about what's happening to the broken and the oppressed in our churches. Okay. Huh? Because revival yeah. has everything to do with people who used to be on fire. Come on. Because, you know, when you start to think of revival in the beginning, you know, you're kind of like, uh, yes, revival, and I want the people on the streets to come flooding in, and oh my goodness, and yes, that's part of the results of revival. Because the prefix R-E means again. So you redo it. Hey, you're going to have to redo that paper. you got to do it again. Right. Right, you're going to have to remake that pie. It didn't come out. Yeah. <laughs> you got to make it again. If you're going to revive something, you make it alive right. again. again, which means that revival, when it hits an area, is all about, in the beginning, is all about the people of God coming alive again. Yes. And revivalists, like I hear in the spirit that you are, you'd long for revival. Revivalists have an eye of faith that others just don't see. Like, like you know about the, the Welsh revival with Evan Roberts? He comes to his senior pastor and said, Hey, I want to hold a prayer meeting later on tonight, after, you know, after dinner. And he said, the senior pastor said, Yeah! Ain't nobody going to come to that. I'm sorry. Well, he said, well, can I announce this morning at today's service, we're going to have a prayer service tonight. And senior pastor says, go for it. So he gets up and says, later on tonight after dinner, come on back. We're going to have a prayer service. All right. Thirteen people showed up. You know what he did the very next day? Wrote to the newspaper and said, tell everyone that revival is here. Because the eyes of revivalists, they see differently. You can't see the same. You see someone who used to be far from Christ, and they ask you one little question about God. You go to rejoicing because you say, oh my goodness, they're coming to Christ. They're, oh, oh my, because that's the eye of a revivalist. Yeah. That's the eye of someone who sees revival, and we draw it in by faith. Yeah. Yeah. Evan Roberts ended up being the catalyst for a revival that saw two million people come to Christ. Ah. And it started when he saw 13 people show up for a prayer service. Most of us would be like, ah, it went okay. That's not the eyes of faith. Yeah. And you are people of faith. So let's stir each other up. Yeah. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm already stirred up. All right, I feel I feel uh, that that praise that praise and worship was. We could have gone as long as you wanted. <laughs> you know how it is. You come in and you know the the first song, and you're like, "Come on, fellas, let's go. Come on." And, and then pretty soon, all of a sudden, you see the, you feel the Holy Spirit start to stir him up. Like, let's do it, dog. <laughs> That's about the time where everybody's like, okay. And, uh, and you're like, no. 
Okay. Did I say Psalm 110 already? Okay, this is what they call a messianic psalm. It's a prophecy about Jesus. David wrote it. He said, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He'll crush kings on the day of his wrath. He'll judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He'll drink from the brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. That's a, that's, there's a lot in that. What I wanted to look at, though, is verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of who? Isn't that crazy? A prophecy about the Christ, that he's going to be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, now the, the reason that's interesting is because you remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? All right, well, Jacob had about 12 sons. Now, those 12 sons kind of became the 12 tribes of Israel. Because you have Joseph, and he became Ephraim and Manasseh, and it's a weird little thing. I don't pretend to understand what's going on. All I know is, uh, when Moses was out in the desert, and they're all getting their allotted portions, okay, you're over, you get this part of the land, you get this part of the land. There was one tribe that didn't receive any land at all. That was the tribe of Levi. The reason tribe of Levi never received any land is because God was their portion. Yeah. All right? Now, this Levi was one of the children of Jacob. And eventually his children became the priests for Israel. Right. You didn't sign up. You didn't show up in the morning and say, hey, you know what? I am just in love with Jesus at that time, Elohim or Adonai. I'm in love with Adonai and I want to be a minister before God. You didn't do that. You were born into it. Right. So anybody that was a priest, anybody that was a priest, had to trace their lines back to Levi. And then, here's this crazy prophecy by David himself. He said, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek? Yeah. Now, if you were to read, let's say, let's say you were to read the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is very careful to outline the superiority of the Melchizedek priesthood over the Levitical priesthood. All right, the, the book of Hebrews is saying this Levitical priesthood is not is not good enough. Here's the Melchizedek priesthood, and this is what David was talking about when he's when he's prophesying to the Christ, where he is seeing the Lord, our God, Elohim, Adonai. Yes. prophesied to Christ, he says, you are a priest forever in the order of Levi. He didn't say that. He said, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek priesthood is one of the major subjects of the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, is clear to, to, to outline the superiority of that priesthood. Right. So then my question next is, why even introduce the Levitical priesthood? Right? 
if there's this priesthood that is far superior, that Jesus is operating under, why do you even need to introduce the Levitical priesthood? Good. <laughs> uh, these are questions I have in my mind, you know, when I'm alone with the Lord and you're like, I love you, but man, there's some questions. Now, one of the things I started to see where I started to maybe see some answers is Exodus 33. We're going to start in verse 7. Did you guys tape these messages? I don't know. Okay, I'm just making sure. Because then maybe if the Lord willing we do the, the other message, then maybe you just can just listen unto the other one. This is still about the broken and the oppressed though. I'm so serious. We'll see. I'm I'm trying. <laughs> Bless the Lord. Verse seven. All right. Now this is in in Exodus chapter thirty three. This is just after that golden calf incident. You remember that? What? There's some jokers. Aaron's like, I'm not sure how it got out of here. It just we. <laughs> he said that. He said that. And we put the gold in and buy. I mean, man, shut up, man. Oh, sorry. sorry. That's what I would have said, you know, if I was Moses. She said, what? It just what? <laughs> That's the street ministry in me. All right, now. So, this is right after that. And verse 7 says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke of Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as man speaks with his friend. And Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Woo! Now listen, Now we're not talking about the tabernacle here, because they also call the tent of meeting, the, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. So it's almost like, well, which is it? But you guys realize, you guys realize what that tent of meeting or the tabernacle, because those words are almost interchangeable. But you realize that that was the the three compartment little worship center that they were instructed to set up. Do you remember that? So they had the the, the fence, the outer court, and people came into that part, you know, regularly to do the worship. That's where the people gathered to worship. And they had this big tent in the middle, and that was called the holy place. And no one went in there unless you were a, a Levite. The Levitical priest went in there just to do their daily sacrifices and routines. And inside that big tent was another tent, and that place was called the most holy place. No one went in there except one time a year, the high priest on, the, on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. He went in there to make sacrifices for the entire nation. He went on one time a year. No one went back there. The Ark of the Covenant was there, you know. In the, uh, so now, that's not this, though. Because that's in the very middle of the camp. This clearly said Moses used to take a tent and put it outside the camp. Yeah, where he would go out there and he would meet with God face to face. 
And then, but what I say about Joshua? That joker never left. You could go back, Moses. You could go back, but I'm here. I'm here. I'm just gonna linger. Today we call it soaking. I'm hey. I'm gonna soak. I get it. I get it. I'm hey. Here's my question though. Why wasn't everybody going out there? Yeah. Mm. If you knew that just outside the border of Kalamazoo County there was a tent where people were meeting face to face with God, wouldn't you be on your way out there? Yeah. Even if I didn't have a car, yeah, come on. I'm on my way out there. Look, look, hey, I walk. If it takes me a couple of days, I'll get there, but I'm going out there. And that's my question. How come everybody wasn't out there? Now we're getting to the heartbeat of the reason for the Levitical priesthood. See now, because do you, you guys realize that in Exodus 19, God prophesied actually and told what his desire was for Israel? In Exodus 19, he says, I desire for you to be a nation of priests. That's right. A kingdom of priests. His desire was not, hey, because a priest, uh, a priest's uh, job in general, just really generalized, is uh, he, they're supposed to represent the people to God and represent God to the people. They're like an intermediary. And God's desire was, I want all of you to meet with me face to face. But what was the problem? Yeah. God, they were scared of God. They saw that mountain rumbling and the thunder and all that, and they said, Moses, you go up there, you find out what we're supposed to do, and you can come back, but we're not going anywhere near that mountain. That wasn't God's desire. Now, what I started to see was, here was God's desire all the way, all the way in the Garden of Eden, which is, I want to walk and talk with you face to face. Now, here comes the people, and the people are like, oh man, I don't know, I don't know, we want someone to go for us. So God sets up a system of worship whereby someone can represent him to the people and the people to him and they never have to get anywhere near God. Because what the people realized, and you can see this even in Exodus Leviticus, especially in Leviticus. I know no one reads Leviticus, but you can see it in Leviticus. There's a lot of blessing with this God. Yes. He'll bring your tithes to him and your first fruits. He'll bless your crops and your cattle. There's prescribed uh, sacrifices in Leviticus if you get sick. You realize in Deuteronomy 28, sickness was not part of this covenant they have with Adonai. No, it had nothing to do with that covenant. And there were certain sacrifices you could bring to to the priest so that you, if you were sick, you could get healed, you could get blessed. Yeah. You can find salvation in this Adonai. Yeah. There was a lot of good things that he had. But his presence was too demanding for their lifestyle. Wow. wow. Oh. 
And God, because he is so covenant-keeping and such a promise-keeping God, he set up a system of worship whereby they could still have all the blessings of his presence without having to get anywhere near him. He's that good. He's that good that he'll bless you even if you don't want anything to do with him. And that's never been his desire. His desire has always been, I want to meet with every one of you face to face. So he said, Moses, stinking old, go ahead, put put the tent out there. I'll come down and meet with you face to face. And anyone who wants to, you can go out there too. And Joshua was so excited about it, he never left the camp. He never left that tent. Yeah. And there was a handful of people who were, if you're, if, if for lack of a better way to say it, who were willing to pay the price for the presence of God. Come on. Because the long story short is, he wanted to meet with everyone, but he didn't want to destroy them because his presence in the middle of the camp would have meant death for everyone living in a compromised lifestyle. So he said, Moses, go out there. And anyone who is willing, come on out there. I would love to meet with you face to face. And there was a handful of people who were willing to pay the price for the presence of God in their life. And then Jesus came. Oh. (laughs) I love talking about Jesus. Oh my goodness. That's that's part of the revival. I want you guys all to know. Falling back in love with Jesus. I'm telling you right now. But now, here comes Jesus. He he walks his life out on the earth, gives his life up on the cross, and the veil is ripped. As soon as he says it's finished, the veil is ripped. Jesus, it's finished. He, He rips a thick, thick veil from top to bottom. Says, come on in. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for everyone to come and get to know me. Come on in. That's his heart, okay? You get his heart? All right, good. Now turn to Judges chapter 2, and this is where we're going to end. (laughs) The problem problem with preaching about Jesus is I like doing it. (laughs) I'll tell you, we went out to dinner. My wife and I went out to dinner with some friends on Friday. And, uh... Friday was the Michigan game, as you you might be aware of. (laughs) And I've been waiting for March, um, uh, you know, all season. So, Michigan game, I said, we're going out to eat at 6. Start. We have to be done by, like, 7 o'clock because the Michigan game starts at 10. She's like, you're going to hurry the dinner? I was like, I don't know, but let's just not, you know. (laughs) I said, let's at least get there right on time or five minutes beforehand so maybe we could get this stuff ordered quick. (laughs) The problem was, like, right around 6.55, the dude says, hey, now what have you been learning about Jesus? <laughs> Two and a half hours later, I'm coming home like, did Michigan win? Oh no! <laughs> he got me, a rascal. He got me. Like, what about Jesus? I was like, oh. <laughs> At least they won. You know, I wasn't. <laughs> At least they won. Okay, now this is about Joshua. Okay, after that whole generation had been gathered... Oh, verse 10, I'm sorry. Sorry, dude. <laughs> uh, Josh, Judges chapter 2, verse 10. This is Joshua is getting ready to die. 
He's getting ready to bless the people and move on. And in verse 10 it says, After that whole generation, Joshua and his generation, had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had been, brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served the Baals and Asherahs. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had had sworn to them, they were in great distress. Wow. Who does that sound like? That sounds like the people of God who are what? Broken and oppressed. Yeah. Hurt and broken and oppressed. And they're not the people in the streets. Yes, they're hurt and broken. The people here who were broken and hurt were in the church. They were the people of God. Yeah. Now listen, this is what happened. Here comes, let's call him little uh, uh, Elisha Jr., okay? Let's call little Elisha Jr., here he is, and he's, okay, he's with Moses, and, and we're, now, oh my goodness, here comes the, 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 uh, the Egyptians. I don't know if we're going to get out of this alive, and here's a little Elisha Jr., like, Dad, are we going to die? Oh my goodness, you know, here comes the Egyptians, we're going to, and here comes Moses, and says, and the Red Sea parts, the wind comes and blows all night. They walk through on dry land. The Egyptians try to follow and lose their entire army because the, 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 the sea just comes back. <laughs> Little Elisha Jr. sees this with his own eyes. Yeah. Later on, they're in there and they're like, We're hungry! <laughs> well, you know, Elisha's dad says, You know what? Moses, our leader, says, There's going to be manna. Whatever, whatever that is. That's what it means. What is it? That's what manna means. What is it? And then, well, let's pick it up. and Wow, it's tasty. Not bad. All right. And little Elisha Jr. sees it. Manna, quail, water from a rock. And Elisha Jr. sees all of this. But what happens next? Elisha Jr. has a kid. And Elisha Jr.'s son... Let's say let's, he's Elisha 3. <laughs> Elisha 3. And he's, Elisha, Elisha comes around and says, Listen now, when I was just a nino, hey, were, I saw water from a rock. I saw the Egyptian army completely destroyed. I saw manna from heaven and quail. This is why we serve Adonai. This is why we love Elohim. And this is why we bring our worship to him. And little Elisha 3 is like, all right. I mean, then Elisha 3 has, well, he calls him Jeroboam or something. You know what I mean? He's like, I, don't, I don't really like Elisha's name. He has a, he has a son. And his son, he, uh, Elisha 3 says, now listen, when your grandpa was young, yeah. oh, come on now, when your grandpa was young, he saw this, and he saw that. He saw water from a rock. This is why we love Adonai. This is why we serve Elohim and why we bring our worship to him. And little Jeroboam says, yeah, come on. 
And after that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. But do you see? They're still wearing the name of God. They're still wearing his name. They're still wearing the name Christian. Yeah, come on. They still go to church because their consciences are messing with them. Well, I probably better go. Listen to my wife all week if I don't. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I better go, man. I know my mom and dad are going to want me to go. 38, still saying, I know my mom and dad. (laughs) You think I'm making it up? I preach all over Kalamazoo. The churches are filled with people who wear the name Jesus and have never met him. Come on. Come on. Wearing the name Jesus and have never met him. This is what we just read. You have a whole group of people of God who are hurting and oppressed and broken and walk in and wonder how come it seems like it's like a funeral in here. I don't get it. Why? How come you're not just ecstatic about what Jesus is doing for you? How come you just can't wait to get into the Word? How come you just, what is the, what's the problem? And the problem is they've never met Jesus. They're wearing his name and they've been in church for generations and never really found out. His desire was that everyone would go out and meet with him face to face. So what happens in revival? As people start to find out that he is alive. That he's real. They meet with him face to face. And then like Joshua, that young aide, they turn on all the enemies of God and they say, you are in for a lot of trouble. I say all of that to say, if the currency in the kingdom is faith, let's get our faith up about what we see happening in Kalamazoo right now. You just got done hearing Pastor Cameron said he has been here ministering and praying 25 years. My friend Jeff Port has been praying for, for revival 25 years. My friend Joel Brooks has been crying out to the God for a move of God for 28 years. All of a sudden, is it any wonder why all of a sudden you start to see churches really willing to come together and work? There's no way. There's, that's not an accident at all. And then when you start to see that little bud of spring... Dig in with your faith and say, revival is here. Revival is here. And start spreading the news everywhere. Let's use our faith together because the broken and the hurt and the oppressed right now are still in the church. But when they come alive again, the streets don't have enough people for for the people who want to go minister. We're actually going to have to start sending people to Flint. Listen, I'm so serious. When we were in prayer, I went to a prayer meeting with uh, a couple of my pastor friends on uh, Thursday. And while we were in prayer, we saw, we saw 60 and 70 year old men and women coming up to the front and in and, 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 and tears and saying, we sold our summer home. We're going to Saginaw and we're going to win the whole city for Jesus. That's what we saw because that's what revival does. It makes you alive again and you can't shut up about Jesus the Christ. Put your faith together now, people of God, and believe that every word of His word is truth and that who you are is stunning, so stunning that the unbelievers will flock to it. 
and flock to Him. Because the hurt and oppressed that we're speaking about in this sermon <laughs> are the people of God who have not have unable to lift their head anymore because the oppression on them. And that's not good enough. And revival is already here. Revival is already here. Dear God, I'm asking that this morning that you would stir us up, that we would be uh, we would be drawn into that tent of meeting with you and come out with faces glowing for the masses. We claim today whole neighborhoods coming to Jesus. Ah, we claim today, Father, healing signs, wonders, and miracles worthy of Jesus' great name. A bride fashioned oh, after Him. A, a bride that's compatible with Him. Compassionate like He is. Full of faith like He is. Full of love like He is. Full of power like He is. Ooh, and we receive that today. You're more than enough. You're better than your word. And the revival that's already here, God, fan it into a flame that consumes all of Kalamazoo. Abba, oh Abba, you, oh. Because the only church that illuminates is one that's on fire. Oh, King Jesus. Oh, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. There's not a demon in hell or all of the demons in hell that could even think about withstanding this move of God. Blow on it. Blow on it, Holy Ghost. Blow on it, Holy Ghost. And we're looking forward to the day. Oh, where we see dancing in the aisles of some of the most traditional churches here. Father God. Where we try to come to church on Sunday, but we can't because the church that has gathered at our house from the whole neighborhood is just unwilling to stop praising you. Oh, King. Oh, thank you, God. Revive our imaginations. Give us sanctified imaginations to be able to see the revival. And when we came to New Day on that day, we didn't leave for a month. Oh, God, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. The worship and praise that came in the, in the testimonies of healings just altered the atmosphere of the entire West Side. Amen. 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 Heal the broken. Yes, Heal the oppressed. Your people are hurting. But King, they're not beyond redemption. They're not beyond the redemptive power. Uh, we, we repent for any bad word we have spoken against the church that is not passionately in love with you. I repent right now. And we ask, come and do here what you're doing all over the world. Yes. Come and do here what you're doing. Something worthy of your great name. Well, oh, amen. Amen. All right. Wow, isn't that awesome? Give him a real hand. Come on. That is exciting.